0: Kevin made that video. Thank you, Kevin. It was uh, even more important today because I just realized as I was walking up here, uh, I was out of juice. Anybody ever do that? Yeah. So we would have uh, only got through about a quarter of the message and y'all would have had to hear me really scream. So hey, uh, if you're joining us, I uh, hope you're having have a good time so far. Uh, we've been in a series in the book of Daniel. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel's a book that's in the Old Testament. That's the first half of the Bible. And it's an amazing book because it starts out in a really cool narrative way, telling you about this amazing guy's life, but then it kind of flips in the middle and then it starts to talk about some end time stuff and some futuristic stuff. And it's one of the things that makes the book a lot of fun to study. It's a book that starts in one language, and then it switches to another language, and then it switches back to another language. And so inside this book, it's meant for a lot of different groups of people. And so it's one of the things I love about this book. We've enjoyed studying it, but I've also enjoyed how applicable it is to where we are in life right now, especially in our culture. Um, I've really, we just finished the devotional part of it. Uh, Tony and Jamie are like, glad we're done with that, right? And so we're, we're, the preaching part's trying to catch up to what they've already done, the devotion and the reading life. So, um, to catch you up through this book, we've talked about Daniel's name as being one of the overarching themes. That God is my judge is something about this book that helps us to understand the context of it. We realize that names are especially important in the Old Testament, especially as God renames people or he's given certain names. We've talked about the humility that lays in this book. We've talked about how Daniel has this life of humility that just kind of comes out no matter what people try to do to him. He kind of comes through it in a way that only God could plan. I love that we uh, sung about the lion's den even this morning. And you think about what we learned in the lion's den just a few weeks ago about how God had all of that mapped out and how even when people meant stuff for evil, God was actually working it out in a pretty cool way. We talked about some of the prophetic stuff a few weeks ago about the beasts, and we talked uh, last week about being sick and tired sometimes of the culture and the world in which we live, and today I want to look at Daniel's prayer with you, which is in chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up there. It's going to be Daniel 9. We're only going to look at verses 1 through 19. In fact, we're going to walk through it um, with each point, point. and my hope is to help you and I to challenge what we think about prayer. Now, how many of you have heard out of curiosity of the Daniel plan? I'm just curious. How many of you have been crazy enough to try the diet, the Daniel plan? Anybody? Okay. Only a few of you. Okay. We did it. Daniel's done it. Dan, Dan's done it. Uh, ironic. Okay. Dan did the Daniel yeah. diet. Okay. Susan and I did it a while back. It's very popular, you know, and um, how many of you know what it's about? So you put, what do you put in? What are you allowed to eat? Vegetables. Vegetables. What else? It's <laughs> About it. Water. <laughs> no coffee. No sugar, no meat. Um, what am I missing? So you get grains, only whole grains, veggies, right? And that's it. I can tell you by the end of the diet, my wife hated all of you, okay? She hated the entire culture and people. Um, I think the first few days I hated all of you because I went through sugar and caffeine withdrawal and just was, it was horrible. Now, what's interesting about the Daniel plan, as far as a diet, is it became kind of popular in our culture. Um, we thought, okay, here's a healthy thing that happened out of the book of Daniel, and we latched onto it. Interesting that as a culture, we latched onto the Daniel diet. But have you ever heard of Daniel's prayer? That's not something that's called on in the culture. That Daniel's prayer is so radically different than the way we pray as a culture, that maybe this is actually something healthier Than the diet. I was talking to Dustin, who's teaching this message over in Mardella, and we were both struck with the irony that as Americans, we were far more concerned with what went into us than what comes out of us, okay? Because prayer, in many times, is what comes out of us. It's an outpouring of what's in your heart, And and no pun intended, but we are concerned about other things that come out of us. In fact, we'll talk about that in a second. But when we look at this prayer, I want you to open your mind and thoughts. I want you to think about the way you've typically prayed. Think about the way the church typically prays. Think about how prayer was introduced to you, whether it's in your family or a previous church experience or in a group setting. And I want you to think about what that prayer life looked like and how it shaped the way you think about prayer. And then as we come to Daniel's prayer this morning, maybe God is going to challenge you and I completely in the way that we pray. So let's look at Daniel's prayer life. And this is also in your notes if you want to follow along inside your notes, inside the bulletin. Daniel's prayer life is this it's grounded, first of all, in scripture. His prayer life is grounded in the scriptures. And I can't say that's true of a lot of us, our prayer life is usually grounded in something else. But Daniel's prayer life is grounded in the scriptures. Look at this again in 9, starting with verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Bab- of Babylonian kingdom, and the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the what, church? Yeah. Scriptures. According to the word of the Lord. You should probably underline that, circle that, highlight that, bold it if you've got a digital Bible. Okay, word of the Lord given to... Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands." So just stop there for a second. Keep your finger there. His prayer life was grounded in the word. It was grounded in the scriptures. When I look at most prayer lists, that's one of my favorite hobbies is to walk into a different church, find their prayer list or find their email prayer list chain or wherever people keep those prayer chains. I pull them up and almost every church I know of, the only thing I see on the prayer list is aches, pains, ohs, and woes. Does this sound familiar to you? It's like, okay, who's dead? Who's sick? Who's dying? Who's asking something? Who needs the blessing? By the way, those are good things to pray for, but it's not the only thing to pray for. And it's interesting in our culture, this is what shapes our prayer life. It's no wonder that we pray so differently than Daniel and this is what consumes us. Did you know that Daniel at this point in his life, I want you to picture this, is almost 90 years old. He's almost 90. And so you're looking at the mature prayer life of a man who thinks very differently about prayer. Uh, one One of the blessings that my wife has is she gets to hang out with Miss Julia usually every Friday, which means I've got to go get lost and find something else to do while they chill, okay? But when they get together, one of their primary things they do is they pray. And they not only pray out loud, but they keep a journal of how God is moving within their prayer life. And it's interesting when I talk to my wife, like, what shapes your prayers? It's much closer to what I see in Daniel than what I see in most of our modern prayer lives. The other thing I think that shaped Daniel to pray differently was not only was his focus different, it was grounded in the word of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this. The word of the Lord. Daniel's telling you from the very beginning of this, and it's so put in here, and we miss this in our culture, that he believed the word of God was inspired and it had authority. It had power in a way that your prayer life and my prayer life can't even conceive of. When you echo God's words back to God, there is a power grounding in that that is unlike when you and I just pray whatever's coming to our mind. It's so different. In fact, not only did he understand that it was inspired and authoritative, he understood that that was connected to Jeremiah the prophet. Yeah, yeah. I want you, I want you to see what he's doing here. So he's saying, I don't believe this is the word of the Lord, but it came through specifically that prophet. So there's something here. I won't give you the technical theological term because those are kind of boring. You can look it up later if you want, if you want to know the theology behind it. But what's happening here in the layman's way is this. He's saying that God inspired Jeremiah to write specifically what Jeremiah wrote, but it happened through Jeremiah's personality and heart and temperament. In in other words, what we talked about last week, fully God, fully God. Man, we see both of these right now in the way that he is unveiling his prayer life. There's a fully human part of it, but there's a fully grounded part that's connected to God. And he's specifically referencing Jeremiah, one of the most favorite verses most of you love. Jeremiah 29, that's the one he's referencing. Interesting, he's not tattooing tattooing it to his arm, thinking God's got the best for me, and he's made this prayer about himself. He's looking at this prayer from this perspective that God had a promise, a covenant promise that he made to Israel that he said, I'm gonna give you a little spanking, pow, I'm sending you to Babylon because y'all haven't fulfilled the covenant. And in 70 years, you're gonna come back into the holy city. And here's what, here is what Jeremiah's doing in a prophetic way. How old is he again? He's almost 90 He remembers when Jeremiah gave the word. He knows when it was penned. He knows when it was written. And he's lived now long enough that he remembered that's when the promise was made. I'm old enough. I've lived long enough. I get to see the fulfillment of the promise. That's what's grounded in this word. And he's now reminding God of God's covenant and God's promise, which is powerful. This is how things move in the life of somebody that really understands the maturity of prayer. Look at some of the descriptive words around his prayer. He pleaded, he petitioned, he fasted, holy smokes, okay? He mourned by wearing sackcloth and ash. He confessed and he did all of that based on the word and the covenant. They're connected together. This is so different than the way we think as a group of people on the day we live. I can't tell you how many people when they come through Grace's first class and we have something called a covenant. A covenant, by the way, is an agreement, okay, between two parties of how you will live and how you will structure a specific relationship. How many people say, I don't like signing a covenant to be a part of a church. I don't see where it's biblical. Are you serious? Like if you read the same book, over and over and over again, there's covenant after covenant after covenant after covenant promise of how God is to work with God's people. It frames things in such a way that now you can have discipline and growth and agreement. That's why covenants are so important. That's the difference, by the way, in a covenant marriage and just a hookup, okay? There's a framework behind it. That is of God that says, this is the way in which this relationship works. It's a covenant agreement. That's why covenants are so important. And when you learn how to pray within the covenant and within God's word, wow, your prayer life will change. Number two, it was personal and it was corporate. Most of the time, our prayers are personal, which is good. They should be because Daniel's was. But Daniel's prayer moves from personal to corporate and from corporate to personal. There's this interchange back and forth within this prayer. Look at in verse five. We, we have sinned, not just him. We have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants and prophets. In other words, we ignored the word who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to the people of the land, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, and all of Israel, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses—there's the covenant. And servant of God, you have poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us greater disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it was written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins." And giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. When you think about your personal prayer life and the prayer life that you've been a part of in different places, If your prayer life has been anything like mine, just being confessional, I am not close to this, but I feel an intense burning draw to pray like Daniel. Like his prayer is not only a prayer of depth, but understanding of sin and confession and repentance. And by the way, he doesn't just own his own sin. He confesses the sins of the people that's so different. It's so different. One of the things that we teach, and I think it's close to this, it's a really easy acrostic if you want to write it down on the side, if you want to learn how to pray a little bit more like Daniel, is Acts. Have you ever seen it that way? You begin with adoration, meaning you tell God who God is, the qualities and characteristics of God. Then you go to confession. You see that here. Then you move to thanksgiving for how God is at work in your family and your community and your life and around you. And then you end with supplication, which is an older word, which means then the aches, pains, ohs, and woes. They come last. So Acts, you start with adoration. Then you go to confession. Then you go to thanksgiving. Then supplication. I want you to notice something. I, I really didn't notice this. I noticed in the text, you all know that if something is repeated, it's important, right? That's what we find in the scriptures. Did you notice what word is repeated more times than any other word in that group of texts that we just read? It stands out in a way that's it's hard to miss. It's yeah, who said it? Nope. Sin. Sin is listed so many times, and this is something in our culture we don't like to talk about that word. We don't like to talk about sin or missing the mark or that God has certain standards. For who he is. I love that uh, somebody else mentioned this. This is out of Ryrie's commentary. He said if you want to see parallel prayers in this, read Ezra 9 and Nehemiah 9. They're, They're parallel prayers to Daniel's prayer. But the other thing that's noticed is this: he associated himself with sins of his people over 32 times in some way. Over 32 times in his prayer, he associates himself with the sins of the people. When we say, as Americans, and we do this a lot, coming off on 4th of July holiday, right? Pray for our country. Pray for our nation. What do we mean? I would hope that's what we mean, John. I don't think that's what we mean. I think most people, when we pray, yeah, we pray, prosper us, bless us, maybe even save us, but we don't pray like this. Like we don't start with, hmm, where's my nation, my church, my community, my city? In what way have we sinned against the God of heaven? I mean, let me just list a few I thought of when I was trying to think about how to pray through this. Let me list a few. Racism is a major sin We have still never fully dealt with. Now, immediately when I say that, here's my immediate reaction. Well, I'm not a racist. You're probably thinking the same thing. Daniel wasn't committing these sins either, yet he somehow felt ownership of the nation's sin. Interesting. Pride. We are one of the most pride-filled nations in the world. Well, you could say, well, I'm not a prideful person. I'm a pretty humble person. But owning the pride of the nation means you have to own that. We are a greedy nation. Dan just said prosperity. That focuses us in so many ways around money and our own prosperity. That, that's anchored in. And Prosperity for the sake of being prosperous so you can give it away is one thing. Prosperity for you can hoard it to yourself, that's greed. Bigotry is another sin that we see all the time throughout our nation hypocrisy. Oh my goodness. Okay. How many people say one thing, mean one thing, and then tell you something else behind your back that you've met? That's a big deal where we live. Okay. Perversion of who God is, what God's standards are, what God believes about marriage and purity and life. All these things are in our nation. And it's so easy for us to say, I stand here holier than thou. Apart from that, that's those people. Daniel says, no, no, no. I don't like what my peeps have done. And I'm going to walk over here with them relationally. And even though I haven't sinned in this way, I'm going to own their sin. That is a radically different prayer life than most of us have. It's not the prayer life I've had at this point. And when I read this passage, I'm like, oh God, I am so sorry. Sorry. I've got to learn to pray this way because this kind of prayer, I believe, has intense power within it. In fact, the more I prayed about the difference in the way Daniel prayed and the way that I pray, I realized there was another connection there that I hadn't seen before. Do you know of another person in history who didn't sin, yet he owned the sins of all that did? Yeah, even though he never sinned, He owned and took on the very sins of people that were not his sin. And because of that, look at the healing that extended out of the good news of the gospel of who Jesus is. And then right here in Daniel, we see the same divine spirit and power. Listen to what it says out of 1 Peter. You can write this off the side. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. That's a repentant prayer. That's a prayer that's heartfelt, and it owns the sin of the people. You know, one of the things that I think we need to do, if we want to understand this contextually in our day, is we've got to move from thinking so inwardly to thinking about the groups of people around us that don't have the good news, willing to share in Christ's mission, share in Daniel's prayer life. If that starts to happen, our prayers turn more from inward to aches, pains, ohs and woes to the community and the state in our nation and our neighbor. And we begin to pray for them in a completely different way. I think that's what God's calling us to. If we want to pray the way Daniel prayed. The third thing you see in this text that's so powerful is Daniel's prayer life was motivated by God's covenant promise. We talked a little bit about that, but you got to get into the covenant to really understand how this works. It was motivated by God's covenant promise. This is why covenants are so important. He says in 17 through 19, starting in verse 16 actually, O Lord, in keeping with your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Here it is in our sins and our iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. mm. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O God, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Do you notice I want you to see this from so many dimensions. I have no idea how the Holy Spirit's about to sow this in the heart of people. You notice he didn't pray. I got to say, I work with a lot of churches that want to be revitalized. And when I talk to those churches, their prayer is save our church instead of reawaken us to the mission of Christ. Not for our name. We don't care what name's on the door but for Christ's name, his name, his people. We don't think this way. Again, we think so inward. We're so consumed about our own little lives in the microcosm where we live. We miss the bigger covenant that's going on here. You see, let me tell you about the covenant they're in right now. Out of Deuteronomy, there's a covenant that's established with Israel. God says, hey, y'all are gonna be my people. And they're like, yay, we didn't like Egypt. Hopefully we'll like you better, okay? You're gonna be my people. And I have these commands that will shape you as a holy people if you'll follow them. Follow these commands. And if you'll follow these commands, I will bless you generationally. But if you go away and you're wayward and you worship the other gods and you're drawn to them and you allow them to encroach into your camp, I will discipline you I will allow painful things to happen in your life to bring you back into this covenant relationship. Because the interesting thing about a covenant, think about this, is even when one party doesn't hold up their end of the covenant, it doesn't excuse the other party from their part. This is what God teaches us through covenant relationship. Even though Israel doesn't hold up their part, God holds his part up. Even when he has to discipline the people he loves the most. That's the covenant. And here's how the covenant works. Every time you sin, I've got a prescription, okay? And it's going to involve the shedding of blood. So you sin, you got to go get an animal, okay? You're going to bring that animal to this place of worship, the temple, okay? You're going to bring that animal in there. You're going to confer your sin upon the animal by putting your hands on it. The priest is going to help you in an intercessory way. He's going to show you how to put your hands on this animal. You're going to lay your sins on this animal. Then the priest is going to kill the animal. You're going to shed the blood of that animal, and then there was all kinds of rules, whether it would be fully consumed, partially consumed. And if the priest got to eat, that's kind of some cool stuff you can read later. But the bigger point was every time you sinned. Now, I want you to think about that, because I don't think I've been through a day without one, or even a little one, okay? I'm thinking, Dad, go on, I'd be there every day. Every day. Can you imagine how much it stunk from all the animals being slaughtered and killed? And them having to put their hands on them all the time. This is a covenant that they're in. And for 70 years, they haven't even been able to live out the covenant they were given because they're in captivity. So they got some catch-up time when they finally get back to Jerusalem. This is the covenant they're in. And this covenant promise, this is what he's reminding him of. You love us, you wanna forgive us, get us back to that city so we can at least live within that. But there's also a prophetic covenant that Daniel's talking about here that we call the good news. You see, at the right time, a new covenant was formed. And the new covenant was, you don't have to be under this blood covenant anymore There's a new covenant called grace. And under the covenant of grace, Christ is the one who became the sacrificial animal. But you got to lay hold of him. You still have to admit your sin and your need for him. Just like Israel had to admit their sin and their need for that animal, for a temporary forgiveness of their sin. You have to lay hold of the permanence of forgiveness through the person of Jesus. And he never sinned in thought. He never sinned in deed. He was a perfect sacrifice. And he allowed, after three and a half years of ministry, his own creation to crucify him and allow his blood to cover over the sin of the entire world. He becomes that lamb, the new covenant. But because he had no sin of his own, three days later, he raises from the dead to show he has power over death and sin. This is a new covenant. The reason it's called the good news is he did all of the work. He did everything. All you and I do is agree upon what God has done. And in this new covenant, it should shape our prayer life. The thanksgiving we should have for what Christ has done should overwhelm us, church. It should overwhelm us when we worship, when we sing words to him, and we sing in song, or we read scripture, or we pray. It should get in us in a way that shows us the depth of our own sin and how thankful we should be for this covenant. I'll never forget Tony and I, uh, Tony Werner, when he first gave his life to Jesus, he was going to church with Scott and I and his family. We were all going to church together. It was kind of cool. And uh, I was just starting to understand the depth of really what Christ had done for me. Because I think you begin to understand this at different phases of your life in different ways. We've got to be patient with different people. They're kind of along the journey, okay? But I'll never forget, I, it was one of those phases I was just so broken by my sinfulness and so appreciative of God's grace and mercy that I didn't deserve, that he would give me mercy and grace even though I don't deserve it because I am such a sinner. And that, that reality as it sunk in. Every time I'd open my mouth to worship, I would just start crying. And Tony would sit next to me going, are you all right? Like, <laughs> like, dude, find a therapist. You know, it's kind of like yeah, that kind of look. You know, I'm like, I, I was just having a, this moment of being overwhelmed by the love and the grace of God. That's in this covenant relationship. That's why it amazes me when I meet people who say, I'm a Christian, but I find no love. I meet them and it's more about a religious experience or a denomination or a name or a practice of faith instead of about this love pursuit of Christ because of the covenant That he has. And then when you get through that phase, I'm telling you, you come to another phase where then you are so in love with his mission, you begin to take more on Jesus in your life, and you're like, I will die to anything to be a part of that same mission. I'll lay down my life in the same way. And it starts to shape what you do and how you think and how you pray. And then your prayer life begins to turn from inward to outward. Because of that new covenant partnership and relationship, and everything in life—your money, your time, your treasures, your home, your job, your relationships—everything becomes under the lordship of Jesus because of this covenant. So, here's here's what I'm asking you to do this week as we think about this, and so it's going to lead you to a moment of prayer. As this week, I'm asking you to critique your prayer life. And then engage it in a way that's tangible. I'm going to give you one way, and we'll talk about that at the end of the service. But one of the ways I think we can do that here is through Riverfest. But that's not the only way. That's just one of the ways I know we're about to do it here. But I really do want you to take a moment to critique your prayer life. A couple ways as you think about it. Chris can going to come up and play some keys for us. Help us have a moment. If you've never really fully surrendered all of who you are to the lordship of Jesus based on that covenant relationship we just talked about, you, you need to give your life to him. You need to give your life to him because when you do that and you begin to operate in this new covenant relationship, you will find that while life still might be difficult, he is there with you at every moment and he's breathing life into every difficulty you actually go through. He changes every relationship. He changes your perspective. And that's how your prayer life is actually changed is when you give all of you to Jesus because he gave all of himself to you. So maybe one of the reasons you're here today is you need to do that. You need to give your life to Christ. Maybe you need to renew that relationship. Maybe when you hear Daniel's prayer life and you hear how Christ shaped his life, you're like, I am so far from that. And you need that renewal right now. You need that serious moment of giving all of who you are to him. Again, to renew that faith so that you can see the evidence of God's covenant relationship in your life. For some of us, we need to begin to shift our prayer life From being so self-centered to moving outward to agree with the sins of this nation, our city, our church. And as we begin to own those, even though they're not ours personally, we begin to see healing because of the prayer life of God's people. Those are some ways I know that God's moving within the concept of prayer. And I know that prayer is a moment we just need to set aside so that God can do God's business with us. So let's do that. I'll lead you into the prayer. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, I'm going to lead you in that in a moment, but then I don't want to give you a moment to just sit and see how God's challenging you in your own prayer journey. Let's do that together. Father, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for how we see the divine nature of Christ in him. We see your Holy Spirit in your servant, and he so reflects what we know about the life of Jesus. Father, we all in this room, whether we know it completely yet or not, are sinners, we're separated from you and your perfection. And that sin injures our relationship with our family, our friends, and everyone connected to us And after a while Lord we begin to recognize it because your Holy Spirit starts to show us our own sin we come to you with humility this morning we ask for you in a moment of stillness and quietness if there's a specific area of sin reveal it to us now speak it through your still small voice and when we hear your voice showing us an area of sin will move from that moment to understanding what you've done with it. Spend some time right now with the Lord. Ask him to unveil your heart. Is there an area of sin for you that he needs to show you? Do that now. Father, thank you that in your word you say Christ came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all that would receive him, you would give the right to be called children of God. Father, we submit this morning with humility before you, believing with all of our heart, Jesus paid for our sin. He did it in a unique way because he's the only one in all of history who could say he was fully God and fully man. Because of the uniqueness of his very makeup, he bridged the gap between us and the Father. He paid for, he covered over my sin and the sins of everyone in this room that hold to that with belief and hope. Our hope is in no one else in the person of Christ. We give you thanksgiving for what he's done. That we are forgiven not because we're good, not because we're noble, not because we're even right in our faith, but only because Christ was right. We put our trust there in him alone. And Now, Father, we commit our lives to you. We turn from the direction we've been going We ask for you to continue to speak to us through your word and through our prayer life to show us how we can live a holy life. Now, church family, as you remain in prayer, let's do something we've never done before. Don't look up, don't look around. But if there's an area that you feel called right now that we should repent of as a church, as a people, or as a nation, Would you call that out openly that the Spirit of God might not only hear it, but that we might be able to agree with you in an area of repentance? Let God search you. And if you hear an area, call it out. Father, we pray that our nation would return to you with humility. To turn to you to humility means to come back to the original covenant, not a, not a biblical covenant, God, but a covenant that said that if we would pursue you by faith, that you would bless us as well. Father, allow your nation to repent of its sin and to return with humility and that we would see the evidence of that starting in our home, in our city, in our states, in our nation. Thank you. Father, your will is declared in your word and it's so easy for us to get lost in feelings and politics and in all the other things around us in the news and the media and not turn to your word first. Father, we pray that you will give your church and your people and your community a heart to turn to the word of God first and as we turn to the word that our hearts might be humbly changed and that our minds might be transformed and renewed in the way we think as we engage your word. Father, we recognize that government is something that you said you allowed for, and that the purpose of government is to support the people, that our government officials are to serve and not be served. And there's no greater example of that than Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, I pray that our government would embrace that heart, that they would lay down their lives for the people that they're to represent, and they would be drawn to you like as a moth to a flame, Father, your word says that you did not give us a spirit of fear or of timidity, but of boldness. Father, if your spirit truly resides in us, sometimes, I know I've done this, I squash your spirit down. And what rises is my own fears and my anxieties and my concerns. And Lord, I pray with my sister that we would rise not on our own, but we would get out of the way and let your spirit rise through us to be bold, declare your goodness, and your beauty, and your word, and your love to every person we encounter, and that we would not shrink from difficult situations, but we'd press forward. Father, you said, suffer the little children, let them come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You've also said in your word that if any of us would cause one to sin, a small one like that, it was a heinous sin. It It would be better that a millstone be hung around someone's neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea. You take seriously the education of children and you want them to know the purity and the goodness of life. Father, give us school representatives, teachers, people involved in our school systems that live out their faith in a genuine and real way, that love kids when no one else sees them, they see them, and then you see them through your people. Allow faith to flourish in a personal way so that corporately our kids can grow in faith. Father, you you said that we would be judged in the same way we judge other people. Father, when we look at others, would we realize that while their struggle may be different, their life might be different, their station might be different, they are equally having the same opportunity of forgiveness to you that we have. Let us look to everyone to be like us that we are all in need of forgiveness and love. And let us extend that love. You said in your word, freely we've received, now freely give. Let us give out the overflow of the relationship we have with Christ to all, regardless if we agree with them on all the issues, that we extend your love to them. community there are atrocities not only here but abroad especially even here that we don't even recognize sometimes the trafficking the bigotry or the hatred that we show to people that think differently than the way we think when we do that we're not we're not showing the heart of christ father we want to stand on truth but we also want to extend your grace that the two of them work together in a special way father show that into the heart of your people Let us be filled with truth and grace, just like Jesus was, that we can stand upon truth, but we can extend your grace so that people are drawn toward it. And if there's an atrocity, Lord, in our community that's specific, call it out and help us to show that we don't want to move in that direction. Help us to repent and go in a completely different way. Lord, you've moved powerfully among your people today. We've taken what we heard in Daniel. We've lived it out in this moment, God. We want to continue to live it out. And to do that, we know that we need the empowerment of your presence and your spirit. So, Lord, we move now from this time with your blessing and your consecration into your table for all people. That anyone who calls on the name of Christ, that they might be reminded... That he lives and dwells within us, and that all that we do is centered around his sacrifice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Ask our deacons if they would come forward. You have prepared.